Eco Money on Money FM 89.3. How do you balance political ESG backlash and pressure to manage material ESG risks? Good afternoon, I'm Rachel Kelly, and you are listening to Eco Money on Money FM 89.3. And that is a scenario that many US companies find themselves in at the moment. In fact, over 60% of US companies expect ESG backlash to continue or even increase over the next two years. Now, this is according to a recent report by the conference board. The report has recommended that corporate boards and management view backlash as an opportunity to clarify their environmental, social and governance strategy and communications. But if we rewind, wasn't that the whole purpose of ESG? Didn't ESG start as a framework for evaluating the practices of companies and informing investors? But as anti-ESG backlash and confusion around ratings muddies the waters, how can corporates best navigate? Well, I'm joined today by Tim Mohin to find out. Tim is a global partner and director with Boston Consulting Group. He's the former CEO of carbon accounting startup Persephone and former CEO of the Global Reporting Initiative, GRI, the world's largest sustainability reporting standard. Tim, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. It's my pleasure to be with you. Tim, what a last few years it has been when it comes to sustainability. We've really seen it move to the forefront of most corporate conversations as a result, I guess, of the pandemic with a lot of people looking to see how they can build back better is one thing, but also improve the sustainability of their business, not just when it comes to environmental responsibilities. But with that comes challenges. What are some of the key challenges that you see in the market at the moment? Yeah, well, great question to start off with. Let me start off by saying that I've been in this field for a very long time, since before we even had the word sustainability. And I've never seen a more dynamic time than we have right now. And I think you've got to ask yourself the question, why? Why all of a sudden is sustainability on the top of everybody's list? It's because the problems of sustainability of people on the planet have never been more evident. And I think on top of that, they've sort of crossed the threshold from a nice to do sort of a reputational thing into the mainstream of global finance. And that's why we're seeing such a rush to all companies getting involved with sustainability and having climate disclosure in particular into um, integrated into financial disclosure. So some of the big challenges, obviously climate change is on the top of everybody's list. Uh, we're heading into um, COP28. We've had COP26, COP27. Each year, we're we're really focused on how do we improve the situation with climate change. And there's so many more challenges that we have left to tackle. That's right. And on the back of that, we have experienced the hottest year on record, Tim. And, you know, that's just accelerating or heating up conversations, pardon the pun. So from a corporate perspective, though, obviously, those that are looking to venture down the green road, the ESG path, many are conscious and cautious because of fears, perhaps of greenwashing. What's your take? Yeah, I think companies are really caught in the middle because yes, we have a real backlash against greenwashing right now. In fact, last week in the United States, we saw the Securities and Exchange Commission issue a brand new rule. It was called the Names Rule. 
because so many financial products are now being sold with ESG or some sort of sustainability name attached to them, because it obviously brings in more investment. The question is, are they really sustainable funds? The SEC acted so that they could be determined to be, in fact, meeting the definition of that name. And so we're seeing more and more of this from financial products to consumer products around the world. And I think companies that are making any such claims need to be ready to back them up. On the other side of the coin, you're seeing kind of a backlash against ESG in in general. Uh, There's kind of a political movement in the U.S. that's making it quite difficult for companies who don't want to be part of that political debate. And on top of all of that, we're seeing these disclosure regulations across the world. Capital markets almost in every major economy are requiring climate, climate information to be included in financial statements. So all of this is going on at once. Companies are really caught in the middle of all of it. How do you think we can bridge that or this issue can be tackled and solved? Because the science is clear, climate change is here. Climate change is here. And I think smart companies are looking past the current political debate. Um, You know, there's been quotes saying, I wish we'd never made up the abbreviation ESG because it's being misused by both the left and the right. But if if you get rid of all of that clutter, what you see is that there are very real financial risks and opportunities for companies as climate change becomes much more real and has a real impact across the economy. And it's not just risk. I mean, we often focus on you know, severe weather events and flooding. And as you said, the hottest, hottest weather on record this year. Those are, those are terrible things. And we really have to adapt and prepare as well as mitigate as much as we can. But if you think about the mitigation steps I mean, we're talking about changing everything in our economy from energy to transportation to buildings. Think about the opportunities that creates for businesses. That said, speaking of opportunities created for business, but we're going to go on to that in a little bit. Now, we've spoken about greenwashing and another issue that's kind of come to the forefront is the issue of green hushing. What are some of the dangers for businesses that are keeping quiet about their sustainability efforts? Not dangerous, perhaps challenges or missed opportunities, I think you could say as well. Look, no company wants to be involved in, in a political debate. It's it's really just not, not something any company goes to seek out. And so primarily in the U.S., this term ESG has become kind of a political football, if you will. And so mm. green touching has become a term. I think it's very real. There was a study in the Wall Street Journal a few weeks back that showed for the last five quarters, words like sustainability, abbreviations like ESG have been dropping precipitously from earnings calls. You're just not seeing those words anymore because companies are saying, look, why would we put ourselves in that situation? But what's happening behind the words is action. Companies have not backed off of their pledges. They continue to move forward and fulfill their commitments. Most companies, as you know, have set some sort of carbon action goal Many of them are net zero goals, science-based targets. Those goals are very real. They're very public. And companies still have to fulfill those commitments. And so while they may not be saying much, they're still doing a whole lot. Okay. Let's talk now about the pain points for those others that are looking to do a whole lot. You're now in Southeast Asia meeting with clients to talk about some of the opportunities on this front. What are some of the key pain points that your clients are having? And what are some of the things that you are sharing with them or that they need to know when it comes to ESG trends? Yeah, there's there's a couple of them. Uh, ESG trends 
we, we've talked about one of them already, which is the the new drive for mandatory disclosure. It doesn't sound as big as it is because companies have been reporting sustainability information in some shape or form or fashion for many years. In fact, we just had a statistic a few weeks ago that not over 95%, almost all of the S&P 500 companies are voluntarily disclosing sustainability information. So why is it such a big deal to make it mandatory? It's a big deal because all of a sudden this information has to get integrated into the financial statements. That's difficult. It has to be assured, it has to be robust, comparable, reliable, and it has to be pulled in in the schedule for those disclosures. That's rippling through all of our clients right now. They're trying to figure out how do we integrate and transition these major management systems that we've become very, very familiar with. And the other, of course, is just meeting the goals. You know, these, these net zero goals are quite difficult to meet. And I think many companies set them as an aspiration. But now looking forward, they're saying, how do we actually get the technologies that we need to start to make start to make progress in meeting those goals. And that's, I think, really where a lot of our clients are are starting to to um, starting to invest. Tim, you briefly mentioned their ratings and regulations. What more can be done on that front to improve the current situation when it comes to helping companies disclose? Transparency, pure and simple. The, the ratings industry has always been a bit opaque. Uh, and let's face it, when you have that kind of situation, there's all kinds of opportunities for um, uh, miscommunication. And some companies have complained bitterly because they might be rated high by one analyst and low by another analyst on the same set of data. But when you really unpack that, ESG is a very complex topic, environmental, social, and governance. When I ran the Global Reporting Initiative, the largest sustainability standard setter in the world, we had 34, 34 different topics as different as diversity and inclusion and water and safety and climate change. And all of these things are included. So it's it's not a big surprise that when you try to rank and rate companies against all of those various factors, you're going to get different results. And that's in fact what's happening. And so the answer here is transparency. What are people, what are companies being rated on? How are they being rated so that we can all see how that is being done? And unfortunately, transparency in ratings is often lacking. So with more to be done, what, where are we right now? And where do you see this going in the next year or so when it comes to improving ratings and regulations? The, uh, the international association that oversees all capital market regulators is called IOSCO. And IOSCO um, issued a statement, it was about six months ago, I think, where they said that their next target will be to focus on ESG ratings. And I think that's long overdue. I think that to have reliable, comparable, and um, and basically transparent, open ratings is, is super important. And I, I'm hoping to see some change there soon. Okay. And speaking of hope, hope seems to be one of the key themes for COP28 this year. Dr. Sultan Al-Jabbar was in New York for Climate Week. He rang the bell at the New York Stock Exchange as well, the first COP president to do so. And what are your hopes for COP this year? A lot of focus on climate finance 
And what are you looking out for? You know, COP is um, has become the global meeting of not just the country climate negotiators, but the private sector as well. And as we were just discussing a minute ago, I would like to see the private sector come forward with accountability measures. As we've been talking throughout this discussion, we have the, a new set of standards. The International Sustainability Standards Board, ISSB, has set climate disclosure standards that will be used by capital market regulators across the world. So we, we have the building blocks in place, we have the tools in place, and now it's time, I think, for the private sector to step, and, step up and say, we've set these ambitious goals, where are we in terms of achieving those goals? This can't be done without the private sector. Study after study have sh has shown that the capital flows that have to go into climate action can only be done if we all work together, and that includes both the private sector and financial sector. Do you think that's achievable at COP28? Do you think we're going to see more action last talk? You know, it's hard to predict, but I would hope so. Uh, it's it's always um, difficult to put on your, you know, look in the crystal ball and, and see exactly what's going to happen. But I really would hope to see more demonstrable progress. You know, I, I don't think anyone would have predicted uh, last year's outcome with the loss and damage uh, uh, agreement that came out. And so it's really difficult to say exactly how it's going to turn out. Great. Well, Tim, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. My great pleasure. Thank you. We've been speaking to Tim Mohin, who is a global partner and director with Boston Consulting Group. I'm Rachel Kelly, and you've been listening to Eco Money on Money FM 89.3.